back to Range Anxiety. It's that time again where you get my Martin Donnan's 30 years of automotive tuning experience in general. Mucking around with cars coming at you in 25 to 30 minutes. Once, twice or three times a week or whenever the damn hell I feel like it. Today we've got to thank the Bay City Rollers. Who remembers the Bay City Rollers with their track Money, Honey? And it's quite a pertinent intro because... It's got a fair bit to do with today's Epicast. It's not a Sunday session, and I don't have Hey Babe, Hey World, Big Pole with me today because I've had to do this one fairly early because we've got lots to do on the weekend that's going to take up a lot of my time. So the chances of me getting a Sunday session in are a little bit grim at this stage. So I thought we'd do an early Friday morning. I've got quite a busy Friday. I've got a turbocharged BRZ to tune this morning. Subaru slash Toyota thingamajiggy. And yeah, um, it's got rods already in it. So hopefully the rods don't come out of it. Yeah, it amazes me why people want to push those things on stock engines. I mean, they're a good little thing when they're normally aspirated, but kind of leave it there, guys and girls, unless you're going to build one because it never ends very well at all. Okay, so today we're going to talk about one of the most uh, frequently asked questions that I get in my professional life, like it happens all the time, and that is dyno numbers. Oh God, I spend half of my day explaining dyno readings to people, and it's not, you know, normally I can be pretty critical on some of the questions I get asked or the some of the folks I have to deal with, but I actually don't blame anybody for getting confused uh, by dyno numbers these days. There are so many different types of dyno around, different brands of dyno around, and it probably, and, and so many dynos full stop around, it gives, you know, uh, end users, people with modified cars, a, a, a literal smorgasbord of dyno tuners and different types of numbers and figures and things to work with. Yeah, and it's it's all very, very confusing. Let's go back to where it all began. You know, when I was a, a wee nipper, um, there weren't many dinos around in, in South Australia, at least. There weren't really that many dinos around at all. And those that were, were you know, here were kind of witchcraft. You paid, I remember, actually, we even go back even further. Uh, for the, all of you Holden fans out there, my father had a HDX2 and... Uh, yeah, who remembers those? Yeah, great car, the old HD Holden with twin carbs, I think the X2 had. And it was only fairly new, and he uh, wanted to get a dyno run done on it just to see what it made. And back then, old water brake style dyno that used to like basically use the water as, 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 as the load, and it used to boil the water. They used to get very hot. They'd be cooling towers and everything. Back then, it cost a week's wages to get a power run done in your car and you didn't get a fancy graph and you didn't get a video like everyone says to me, can you take a video on the dyno? It's like, oh, no, really? Hollywood, you know? Um, back then you got a piece of paper with the number scribbled on it. Here's how many horsepower you made for eight weeks wages. Absolutely incredible stuff. And I still think he had that. I think uh, when I was really young, he showed me that slip. I suppose if it cost you a week's wages, you would, you know, you would kind of keep it, wouldn't you? Um, and yeah, fast forward to now where 
you know, your average dyno run costs you at most a tenth of a week's wages. And in fact, to find people to just to do a power run these days, it can be a bit tricky, uh, unless they're beginners starting out because they're that busy with tuning it. It's so disruptive just to like, you know, pull a string um, to print out a piece of paper for bragging rights. Um, yeah, so I used a, a ton of different dinos, old fashioned, pretty nasty things. You know, some of the really killer ones when I was younger had like a plotter, like an XY plotter and would like scribble Looked like Mr. Squiggle, a man from the moon had done it and it'd squiggle out a graph and you know that that was pretty cool stuff. Uh, or we would we would actually use an old water brake and hold the car at different RPM points and uh, read the horsepower and read the torque at those points and then with very early versions of spreadsheets on Apple and MS DOS based computers plot them out and uh, generate a graph, you know, it wasn't generated by the machine, it was generated by us writing down the numbers and, you know, print that graph out or, you know, publish it in a little brochure or something like that. Yeah. That all turned around in the, oh, I reckon it was the very early 90s when um, I went over to Melbourne, I reckon it was a, a company called Dino Dynamics in Lilydale. And we uh, bought, or well, Mark Tilbrook, a good friend of mine, a guy I used to work with a lot with in the early days, he purchased a new Dino Dynamics PC controlled dyno. And we had the only one in the state for a little while. You know, there was only a handful for a long while, actually. And that was just amazing because it would, you know, having a PC driving it, you could draw the graph, you know, on the screen and then you could print it out on a, you know, color printer it was just absolutely amazing stuff and very intoxicating indeed and you know people loved it and we did lots and lots of dyno work and probably one of the reasons that I, I got to where I did in this game was because of Mark's um, commitment to buy that dyno back then and it was a lot of money you know it was like yeah it was I suppose you know dinos have got a little bit cheaper they've got a lot better they got a little bit cheaper but you know it was a good I think back then it was like $60,000 or something, it wasn't cheap, but it was probably the best business move he ever made too, because, you know, it established us as having some real serious cred and serious equipment, but more and more people got dinos, more and more companies came out with them, and, uh, you know, I kind of shifted my allegiance in the brand of dino I use over the years to um, Mainline Dinolog, I mean, I know one of the owners there fairly well. And yeah, they're just so helpful and the product is just so darn good, you know. I, I mean, there are probably are plenty of other brands of dyno that are very, very good out there, but my experience is, is these days is with mainline Dynalog and, and, and it, it, they couldn't really do anything or there's nothing that they can't do that I, I need. So to me, it, it's, it's a really good thing to have, you know, that level of finesse, control, uh, data reporting and all sorts of clever background stuff going on it makes our job easier and it makes our job more accurate and and more to the point it makes your tune better but that was the first big uh, sort of paradigm shift in the industry because there were quite a few dyno dynamics dynos out there and they were very very good and then mainline dynalog came on board and they kind of measured while they measured the same way using an uh, electric brake and any current retarder they would generate two very different sort of sets of figures because, you know, there's, there's, there are ways of, of measuring power, but there is also open to some interpretation. And uh, the main lines always 
in my experience, again, this is making no comment about the, the, the worthiness, worthiness of anybody's product, the main lines tended to read a little bit lower than the dynamics of the time because they didn't have various different software shootout modes and so on. They were quite bland from the fact that they would measure power from one viewpoint and that was that. And they quickly uh, got the name that they were a heartbreaker dyno. And, you know, uh, some people would be like, oh, yeah, well, I don't want a dyno on that brand because I read a lower figure. Yeah, but your car's still making exactly the same horsepower. Do, do you understand? But, yeah, I, I think then they, they got this great thing in the industry that the lower figure was the more accurate way of reporting and everyone sort of swung around um, and started to you know, want that mainline number because, you know, they were allegedly, in my experience, very repeatable and, you know, gave an accurate result and, you know, sort of people got got sort of uh, fed up or, you know, less patient with fairy floss figures, not saying that any other brand gave them, but, but they were, some of the other brands were more open to manipulation and so on and, you know, it, it's happened and it happens and so on. But it doesn't matter because... Dinos are a tuning tool. I've always said this, you know, and getting a better number off another dyno with exactly the same combination of parts and tune that gave you a lower number on another dyno does not mean you are faster. It also means that it's very, very hard to compare apples and oranges, whereas uh, a someone with a built vehicle will go to a shop and get a number, then they'll go to a shop and get another number without touching anything and say, well, I've lost power. The car's, you know, I've got a lower reading. What have you, what's happened? What have you done? Have you done something to my car? It's like, no, this is a different, you know, standard against which the power is, is recorded and measured. Do you get me? Yeah, it sounds all a little bit confusing, but the only way to do it properly is to pick one dyno shop with one dyno and keep using that product, regardless of what it is, to develop your vehicle across. Because if you do that, you won't run into any issues with, uh, you know, different standards and different types of reading, different condition of the rollers, etc., etc. And then the whole situation got a little bit more confused, even more confused again, with the advent of the hub dyno. Now, a hub dyno is basically you jack the car up, you take the wheels off, and you attach uh, the pods, the dyno pods, to you know where the rear wheels would be. They bolt on with hub adapters, and they take the whole question of tyre slip out of the equation. In the early days, tyre slip wasn't a real problem on dynos because there was reasonably good strapping techniques, and cars just simply were not as powerful as, as they, they are now. Even OEM cars are way, way, way more powerful than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, I remember when 200 kilowatts at the wheels was, you know, a, a solid number and you'd done a good job and you'd really done something incredibly awesome if you had a car that made 200 rear kilowatts. Five, six years later, that moved on to 300 rear kilowatts as being the number you know, 400 horsepower at the wheels, absolutely incredible stuff. That was the number which, you know, you know you'd done a great job and you had a super fast car. And, you know, five, six years later again, it was 400 rear-wheel kilowatts. I mean, today I see brand new cars. I dyno a new uh, BMW six-cylinder 
M3 competition the other day, and it made 312 kilowatts at the wheels dead stock, you know, in full um, emissions guise. No problems at all. A bit of light tuning and a bit of an exhaust, nearly 400. You know, like, wow, you know, these, uh, you know, we were building GTRs, uh, R32s and R33s in particular, that when they cracked 400 kilowatts at the wheels, you almost popped a bottle of champagne and you, you, you knew you were sitting on a, you know, ticking time bomb and you'd you build the motor and you get it all right and waiting for the transmission to explode. You know, it's still something that happens in the GDR world this day, but well, not at 400 kilowatts at the wheels, maybe. But they were really big and exciting numbers that now it's like, mate, you'll be doing that with a stock engine, a current model turbo, bit of tuning, bit of V85. You were done. You know, you're done now. And it, it's just so frustrating. So what would happen is that as these cars got bigger and bigger turbos and this technology with tuning became more and more accessible, they would hit the roller harder and harder and harder to the point where now with a thousand wheel horsepower plus cars, if they're turbocharged, it can be quite difficult to set a rolling road, a roller dyno up to read that power accurately and consistency, but there are all sorts of other uh, consistently, but there are all sorts of other things that come into play, such as tire quality, tire pressure. You know, it's it's frustrating to me sometimes that someone builds a, you know, eight nine hundred horsepower supercharged Commodore, you know, and it's making a big grunt, and they've got like eighty dollar no name tires on it. You'll get one run out of them with that, if that, before they just turn into mush. Don't bite the roller anymore and you slip and you can see the dyno runs becoming shorter and shorter and shorter because the tire is slipping against the roller and not getting the roller to go as fast as it should be going so you know tire quality comes you know it's a lot to do with it having said that if you run and, and also tire size and 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 will weight plays a lot in your actual tyre readings. To me, it doesn't bother me because I know the dyno's a tuning tool and, you know, I can I can run a 12, 1300, 1400 rear-wheel horsepower um, R35 GDR up on the dyno and get a pretty accurate figure out of it um, because we know how to strap them properly and we know what tyres to put on them. We even have a set of dyno wheels and tyres uh, that we'll use on high-powered stuff like, like that, like a Nissan the bolt straight on that we know give the right results on the dyno. So if it's got some, you know, cheap crap tyres on it or a semi-slick that's got too much stiction and alters the figures, we've got like a baseline wheel and tyre combo and it works pretty well. Other shops may not have that luxury and so they go straight to a hub dyno. Now, the hub dyno is the correct way of doing it if you want to measure the actual horsepower. From a tuning point of view, it makes no difference from or very little difference in my experience, but from a actual, I want to know to the horsepower what I'm making, the hub dyno will give a more repeatable result because there's no tire temperature, there's no tire quality, there's no tire compound issues to worry about. But what they also do is they read, because they, they eliminate this slip or any potential slip that's there, they do read a lot higher than a roller dyno in my experience. Now, mainline might have something to say about that, but I think they'll kind of agree with me. I mean, you know, a big stall converter, supercharged V8 that's making upwards of a thousand horsepower at the wheels is a difficult thing to read correctly on a roller dyno. On a hub dyno, it's quite a snack. So 
I saw a comparison the other day to give you an idea of the differences. There was quite a low-powered car, well, low-powered, 350 or 340-something rear-wheel kilowatts, so 440 horsepower at the wheel. Commodore camshaft, normally aspirated thing, made that number on a roller dyno and made an extra 40 kilowatts more, an extra 60-something horsepower more on a hub dyno. It didn't actually make more power. It just read more power because the slip was reduced from the equation. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time explaining that to clients now. They're saying, but I saw someone on the net with the same comment. Are you sure you've done the tune right? So I saw someone on the internet that made a, a shit ton more power than you did with the same combination. And it's like, well, look, if we log the FU ratios, the timing, you know, and have a look at it all via OBD2, we're running exactly the same numbers as them, but we're not because we're, we're, uh, you know, uh, dealing with tyre slip as well, which you do deal with on the road, you know. You do not have perfect traction in these cars on the road unless they're some all-wheel drive computer-controlled thing. Um, you, are making, you are making the same power. It just indicates differently. But what it does is it ties up a lot of our time talking to people about it. And that's cool. It's got to be explained. Uh, there is a bit of a, a backlash I saw the other day saying that, you know, I don't know how, how valid this really is, that, you know, our figures are measured at the rollers, which is the real power that you hit the road with. No, that's not quite true either, because a hub donor gives you the real power you're hitting the road with as well. You've just got a slippery interface between what you're measuring at the hubs and the road. So if you get that right, with perfect traction, which is almost impossible in a big power car, you, you know, you will be hitting it with that power. The other one, before we get too far into this, is torque readings. Manufacturers uh, do engine power and torque on the engine dyno, where the thing is out of the car and it's measured directly off the back of the crankshaft. And so their torque numbers are very, very different to the torque numbers that we'll measure on a roller dyno, or for that matter, a hub dyno. The reason for that is that they've got no transmission, no diff ratio to go through. Uh, in the case of a roller dyno, the torque comes out the back of the crankshaft, it goes through whatever gear you're running it in, multiplies it, then it's multiplied by the diff ratio, and then it's multiplied again by the tyre size or the wheel size that you're using on it. So it's not unusual to see a car uh, that's making, uh, you know, say rated at 450 newton metres, like a Ford Ranger, you know, diesel, making 650, 700 newton metres the wheels in the gear, which we, we try and get as close as, you know, to, to one to one to eliminate a lot of this as possible. So you normally that's fourth gear or fifth gear is your direct drive sort of gear. But they always read a lot higher because uh, they're multiplying. This is the same reason why cars go faster in or accelerate faster in first gear than they do in fourth gear, because they're multiplying the torque via the gear ratio. When you say it like that, it makes, you know, pretty much perfect sense. Um, but people come back to you and say, your torque figures are totally wrong uh, because my engine's not rated to make that. And, in, in, you know, it's like double what the manufacturer's saying. And it's like, well, that is what your vehicle is actually hitting the road surface with at the tyre in that gear. So when you're going along in the gear, we dynoed it in it, like, you know, fourth gear and you hit it and it's got... At 4,000 RPM, it's got 700 Newton meters of, of tractive effort or torque uh, measured at the roller. That is actually what your car is hitting the road with. So in, in to my view, a lot of the time, the manufacturer's rating, even though it's done to a standard, is kind of incorrect because you are making a lot more torque 
than you attend to, you know, than they would tend to indicate, but you had this thing called a gearbox in the way. Um, and that holds true even for electric cars because, you know, they're rated at the output shaft um, and, you know, they still go through a transmission of some sort as well. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what, what we need to talk about today. So you need to find your tuner with the dyno and you need to keep using them or if you have a, you know, bit of a fallout or whatever, as, as happens from time to time, particularly over discrepancies in dyno figures, get someone that's got exactly the same brand in, in out of, of about the same age, so their rollers are in the same condition, or, you know, if it's a hub dyno, it really doesn't matter so much, and but keep using brand for brand and like for like, because it'll make your life a lot easier, and you'll be full of uh, many less frustrations, as we might say, when it comes to doing this stuff yeah so i hope that made sense to you today does it if it doesn't drop me some feedback to a dtech d-t-e-c-h at s-e-n-e-t.com.au and i know i've got a lot of techie listeners out there that are tuners themselves many are who are as if not more experienced than i am and some that even own both types of dyno like a roller and a hub and you know if you can post me any comments on that or email me any comments on that. I'm really happy to listen to them and uh, report them here. Isn't this a serious little epicast today? Um, on a on a different note, I always do coming towards the end of an epicast. I always do what I like to call the the plaid report. Um, the numbers of really of these cars are really starting to roll out heavy now in uh, America. They got off to a bit of a slow start. Um, I mean, let's face it, no one can supply cars at the moment. It doesn't matter if you're Tesla or Toyota or whoever it is, there are Mercedes, whatever. There are some significant weights on some model of cars, you know, down to this semiconductor shortage and whatever else. I mean, the, the real layman's term of putting that is, is companies getting caught with their pants down because they underestimated the actual demand for their product uh, you know, over COVID. You know, it skyrocketed and they thought it was going to quarter. So yeah, it's called not the semiconductor shortage. It's called a getting caught with your pants down shortage. And, and that's what's happening and that's what's happened. But you know, the plaid seems to be rolling out now and I've got some fast friends, I'll call them in the States, not the YouTubers um, so much, but guys that run some pretty fast uh, and big development shops over there in the US. Uh, such as my friend John Shepard from Sheptrans, his his plaids. Uh, he just sent me an email this morning. We were discussing of all things um, Lamborghini clutches, and he said, "My hey, my white on carbon plaid's about to get delivered at the end of this month. So you know, maybe a couple of weeks time, he will have a plaid." And it's these guys. It's these guys that actually have a lot of pro drag racing experience, rather than just making videos for the net. That I believe will take the car or these cars into the next level and tap on the door of those eight second passes. You know, I've been watching everything that comes out while waiting patiently here in Australia for something that's going to take forever to get here. And, you know, it's all sort of rinse, repeat, same thing over and over again. We went to the track, we did this, we ran this time. We went to the track, we did this, we ran the same time. None of them are really making any big changes, but I expect to see... It's a bit more drag racing smarts and, and a lot more experience coming uh, to play over the next 
couple of months. So, you know, I'm going to put my hat on the line here and say that by come Christmas time, before all the tracks get too cold and shut in America, we should see that eight second pass from one of the pros like John Shepard, should he actually choose to drag races. And I think he can't be helped. I think he'll do it anyway because he just loves it. And, you know, he was so fast in, or still is so fast in GDRs and whatever else he turns his hand to that I believe he'll give it a crack. So anyway, thank you for listening once more to Range Anxiety.